The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. This morning we'll be in a couple different spots. We'll start in chapter 27, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll move to chapter 36. Then drew near the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Maker, son of Manasseh, from the clans of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. The names of his daughters were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest, and before the chiefs and all the congregation, at the entrance of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. He was, am- he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, The daughters of Zelophehad are right. You shall give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. And you shall speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then he shall give his inheritance to the nearest kinsmen of his clan, and he shall possess it. And it shall be for the people of Israel a statute and rule, as the Lord commanded Moses. Chapter 36. The heads of the fathers' houses of the clan of the people of Gilead, the son of Maker, son of Manasseh, from the clans of the people of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the chiefs, the heads of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel. They said, The Lord commanded my Lord to give the land for inheritance by lot to the people of Israel, and my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of Zelophehad, our brother, to his daughters. But if they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the people of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers and added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry. So it will be taken away from the lot of our inheritance. And when the jubilee of the people of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they marry, and their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. And Moses commanded the people of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, The tribe of the people of Joseph is right. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad. Let them marry whom they think best, only they shall marry within the clan of the tribe of their father. The inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another, for every one of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the people of Israel shall be wife to one of the clan of the tribe of her father so that every one of the people of Israel may possess the inheritance of his fathers. So no inheritance shall be transferred from one tribe to another, for each of the tribes of the people of Israel shall hold on to its own inheritance. The daughters of Zelophehad did as the Lord commanded Moses, for Mala, Tirzah, 
Hogla, Milka, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married to the sons of their father's brothers. They were married into the clans of the people of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's clan. These are the commandments and the rules that the Lord commanded through Moses to the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. Amen. You can be seated. I love this time of year because this is the, one of the only times where you get to listen to a sermon while also the angelic singing that rises up from the fellowship hall underneath us of the K through second graders learning their Christmas songs that they're going to sing up here in a couple weeks' time. Uh, hey, an internet search of wild inheritance stories results in, well... Some pretty wild inheritance stories, uh, such as the Portuguese aristocrat who 13 years before his death picked at random 70 names out of a phone book to inherit his wealth. Uh, 70 people who, completely unbeknownst to them, had this inheritance, knew nothing about it until he died, and it was theirs. Or Nina Wang, the Hong Kong billionaire who left her fortune to a feng shui master because he promised her eternal life. Only it came out later later, that uh, said feng shui master actually had forged this will. And uh, instead of inheriting some $12 billion, he inherited some 12 years in jail. Uh, We love a good, wild inheritance story, don't we? I mean, the, the, the prospect of inheriting like a, a grand fortune uh, that you, know, you didn't earn, that you didn't have to work your tail off for, the, the, the prospect of inheriting some grand fortune and never having to ever worry about money again. It's intriguing, isn't it? It's intoxicating in some ways. To be set for life? <laughs> we love the idea of that. Well, in the Bible... We're taught that as Christians, we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance coming our way. One that far exceeds anything from a Portuguese aristocrat or a Chinese property tycoon. Jesus promises that if we trust in him, if we belong to him, you and I will inherit eternal life. That's wild. It's wild. And and unlike some sham promise of a feng shui master, Jesus actually proved that he can make good on his promised inheritance by dying on a cross and resurrecting himself to new and eternal life. He actually teaches, Jesus actually teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, he actually teaches that meek little nobodies like you and me will inherit the earth. That's incredible. See, the Bible, in one way, is the the greatest, wildest inheritance story ever known. And if you're here this morning, if you're a Christian, God has given you an inheritance. It's yours. And not only has he given you an inheritance, he's also preserving your inheritance. And that's what we're going to see. That's the chord that gets struck As we close out the book of Numbers here this morning, the God who gives an inheritance to his people is the very same God who preserves the inheritance for his people. We'll see this as we look at the very last chapter in the Old Testament book of Numbers. 
chapter 36, but also in conjunction with chapter 36, we're also going to go back and look at the first half of chapter 27, which we passed over earlier in this sermon series because the two really go together. They have the same characters. They, they, have the, they address in the same way that they address the same issue, essentially. And they have, as a result, the same outcome. And it all centers around these five daughters of a man named Zelophehad, who was a girl dad. And he just had daughters. That's all he had, right? It's like me. He didn't have any sons, but he had five daughters. And we first meet these five daughters in Numbers 26, actually, in the midst of that census of all the names. Remember that? We meet them more fully in chapter 27 when they come before Moses and Eleazar and before the chiefs and all the congregation at the, at the entrance of the tent of meeting and they present a problem. Now to understand the problem, we need to understand just a little bit of the context. Again, chapter 26, we have the census. It's the second census in the book of Numbers. It's the census of the second generation, counting all the males, 20 years and up. Verse 51 of chapter 26 tells us there were 601,730 of them. And immediately following the conclusion of the census, we're keyed in on part of the reason the census was taken to begin with. We read this, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, among these, the land shall be divided for inheritance according to the number of names. To a large tribe, you shall give a large inheritance. And to a small tribe, you shall give a small inheritance. Every tribe shall be given its inheritance in proportion to its list, but the land shall be divided by lot according to the names of the tribes of their fathers they shall inherit. And you say, okay, fine, that sounds good. We got the census, we got the names and the size of the tribes. That's fine. What's the problem? Well, there is no problem until a bit of a chaos scenario unfolds, all right? Now, uh, I was watching some pregame show for college football a couple weeks ago, and before the game, they, you know, you got Kirk Herbstreet, you got Reese, uh, what's the guy's name, Reese Davis, something like that, and uh, the dude with the tank top on all the time, Pat something or another, that guy, yeah, he's crazy. And they're, they're going through all these chaos scenarios for the college football playoff, right? You know, what they, they call the segment of the show the chaos scenarios. What happens if this happens and this happens? And well, what happens if that happens and that happens is chaos. It's chaos. Well, in Numbers 27, <laughs> the daughters of Zelophehad present their own chaos scenario. Look at, look at verse 3. In chapter 27, it says, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin. And he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. And so ancient Israel here had a, they had a system in place whereby land was to be passed down from father to son and therefore kept within the family, kept within the tribe. It was a system that, that ensured the land originally inherited and a portion to be given to a tribe stayed within that tribe. And there were reasons for this. Some of them were economic, some of them were social, but this was the system. This was how land was passed down and it's, it's how land was about to be initially inherited in the promised land. But the chaos scenario arises here where these five young women, uh, and their, their, their father Zelophehad, he had died in the wilderness, and he had no sons. They had no brothers. And they're therefore at risk here, do you see, of inheriting no land. 
Now, it's tempting. It's tempting to read a passage like this from our 21st century perch to, to read this and cry misogyny. To, to see here in the Bible perhaps even a, a forerunner for male chauvinism and, and, and maybe even begin to suspect that some of, what the, some of the male chauvinism in our day even dates back to these days and maybe even accuse God for being the instigator of said male chauvinism. That's not the issue at all. Let me explain why. What happens to daughters? Hmm? Many, if not most, certainly not all, but many... Most marry. And what would happen to a family's land inheritance if it were given to the daughters? Well, it would pass. It would pass from the possession of one family into the family of another, the new husband's family. So the purpose of the land being passed down through only the sons. Listen, it wasn't to discriminate against women. It wasn't to oppress women or anything like that. No, the purpose was to keep the land, keep the inheritance within a particular family or tribe. Again, there's economic reasons for this. There are social reasons for this. Perhaps we might even say there are theological reasons for this as we trace out the theme of 12 through the Bible. Dating back to Jacob's 12 sons in Genesis. Or the 12 apostles in the New Testament to the 12 foundations of the city wall in Revelation 21 with the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb and the 12 gates of the New Jerusalem. And so when these five young godly women come before Moses and Eleazar, it's not an early example of a women's liberation movement. In fact, they don't make it about themselves at all. It's more about their father's name. The inheritance following their father's name. And then being able, like all the other families, all the other tribes, to be able to point back to God's faithfulness to the family, to the tribe, generation after generation after generation, four generations. In fact, the NIV translation renders verse 3 in this way. Why should our father's name disappear? from his clan because he had no son. This is the problem. This is the chaos scenario, if you will, that they bring to Moses. And Moses takes it to the Lord. And what does the Lord say? The Lord responds, the daughters of Zelophehad are right. They're right. You shall give them Possession of an inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. And you shall speak to the people of Israel saying, if a man dies and has no son. So it's an exception clause, isn't it? It's a, it's a clarification of the original law as given. It's, it's, it's not the new norm. God isn't throwing out the need to preserve the family names. He's not renegotiating. He's addressing a specific chaos scenario where if a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the, next, the nearest kinsman of his clan, and he shall possess it. And it shall be for the people of Israel a statute and a rule as the Lord commanded Moses. Pretty decent solution, we might agree, right? And what I want you to see here is that God is the one who gives the inheritance. 
He's the one in chapter 26 giving the instructions, straightening it all out, right, for all the, all the tribes as they go into the land. He's the one here in chapter 27 speaking to Moses, who is then commanded to tell the people and establish it as a statute and a rule. God gives the inheritance. The daughters of Zelophehad merely lay hold of it by faith. I mean, think about the faith of these young women, actually. Think about the faith that they display here. They're not yet in the land. We're in chapter 27. They're not in the land. God's people are still in the plains of Moab. They haven't crossed the Jordan. They haven't conquered Jericho. They haven't driven out the people from the land. All they've got to go on is the word of God. And yet these five women, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, Tirzah, have faith. By faith, they believe that God really will lead his people across the Jordan River. By faith, they believe that God really will give Jericho into their hand. By faith, they believe that God really will drive out the Canaanites out of the land and make good on his promised inheritance, giving the land tribe by tribe, family by family, according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. And when we read this from our New Testament perch, we're to be reminded, you're to be reminded, that just as God is the one who gave the inheritance to his Old Testament people, so too God has given you an inheritance. And just as Zelophehad's daughters laid hold of their inheritance by faith, so too you are to lay hold of your inheritance by faith. This is why the Apostle Paul in the opening of his letter to the Ephesians can say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and that in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. An inheritance. Have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our what? Inheritance. Until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here's the pastor taught summary of all that. If you belong to Jesus by faith, if you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and you believed in Jesus, you are set you're set. Not just for life, but for eternal life. Eternal forgiveness is yours. The redemption and the forgiveness. You have a glorious inheritance. It's yours. Eternal forgiveness, eternal redemption, eternal hope, eternal life. Which means, Christian, you never have to worry about these things ever again. They're yours. They're yours. God has given you an inheritance. And so when life isn't turning out the way you planned for it to go, 
You know your perfect plan. When, when, when life doesn't turn out according to your perfect plan, when, when you're tempted to lose hope, when, things, uh, when the things of the world stop fulfilling you the way that they used to, the things of this earth, the worldly things, when they're no longer enough to fill the void in your soul that longs to be filled, when you look around and you're paralyzed by the brokenness around you and even still within you, when you're facing death, when you're reminded of the shortness of this life and the brevity and the fragility of this life, would you then be reminded from Numbers 27 and Ephesians 1, the Word of God? Would you be reminded from the Word of God that He has given you an inheritance? All you're to do is lay hold of it by faith. And if you're not a Christian yet, you know, if you're still on the sidelines, open the grandstands on this thing, you can get in on this too. How? By hearing the word of truth, by hearing the gospel, the good news that Jesus came and offered all this to you. And that you don't earn the inheritance, you don't work for the inheritance or prove to him that you really deserve the inheritance by being, you know, super religious. He offers it simply. He offers it freely to all who believe in him. And it can become yours today if you laid hold of it by faith. If you by faith believe that God really did send his one and only son. And if you by faith believe that he really did live the perfect life that you should have but never can. And if you really do believe that he died the death that you deserve to die but never will because of him. And if you really believe that God really did raise Jesus from the grave and that when you believe in him, the promised inheritance becomes yours. If you by faith believe that God has given you the inheritance through Jesus Christ, it's yours. And then from there, as we turn to the final chapter of the book of Numbers, Numbers 36, what we learn is that the God who gives an inheritance to his people is the very same God who preserves the inheritance for his people. Numbers 36 presents another chaos scenario. And like the scenario of chapter 27, it it involves Zelophehad's daughters again. This time, the heads of the father's houses within the tribe of Manasseh, which Zelophehad was a part of, They come together before Moses and they say, hey, if Zelophehad's daughters marry sons from other tribes within Israel, then their inheritance is going to be taken away from the tribe of Manasseh. So for example, if if one of Zelophehad's daughters marries a man from the tribe of Reuben and another of his daughters marries a man from the tribe of Asher and another from Naphtali and another from Benjamin, you getting the point? That would mean that the tribe, that the daughter's land that they inherited because of back in chapter 27 is going to become property of these other tribes as they marry men from the other tribes. That would mean then that the tribe of Manasseh can end up looking like a bit of patchwork. Losing land, losing inheritance over time. Especially if you play this out over generations. 
In fact, he said, not even the year of Jubilee, which was to occur every 50 years, according to Leviticus 25, a 50-year celebration in which land would be returned to those who were forced to sell it, perhaps out of poverty or something like that. Not even the year of Jubilee would solve this chaos scenario because the year of Jubilee didn't address land transfers, only the buying and selling of the land. It didn't address inheritance. It addressed buying and selling. What's at stake here, I hope you see, is the preserving of the inheritance. The preserving of the tribe of Manasseh in this specific case. But this scenario, though rare, could actually happen in any tribe. And surely would over time. A lot of girl dads out there. And so they bring it to Moses. Moses, what are we going to do about this? And and Moses evidently takes it to God because when we take up in verse 5, here's what we read. Moses commanded the people of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, the tribe of the people of Joseph is right. And Joseph and Manasseh are used interchangeably here. This is what the Lord commands concerning the daughters of Zelophehad. Let them marry whom they think best, only they shall marry within the clan of the tribe of their father. The inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another, for every one of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the people of Israel shall be wife to one of the clan of the tribe of her father, so that every one of the people of Israel may possess the inheritance of his fathers. So no inheritance shall be transferred from one tribe to another, For each of the tribes of the people of Israel shall hold on to its own inheritance. So the solution in a situation like this, one where the father has no sons, only daughters, and the daughters, in accordance with Numbers 27, have received the inheritance, the solution was to impose a marriage restriction. It was a restriction that only applied in these fringe cases, but it was a restriction all the same. That in such a scenario, the daughters were only allowed to marry within their own tribe. The men of Manasseh, in this case. And that sounds, you know, you might be like, I don't know if I like that. Sounds a little bit overly restrictive. But we should also remember, Numbers 26 records that there were over 52,000 men in Manasseh to choose from. A lot of eligible bachelors out there, okay? And then by following this restriction, importantly, the inheritance would be preserved. Notice again, this is all according to the word of the Lord. Moses didn't make it up. What's verse 6 say? Moses didn't say, this is what I command. I got an idea. He says, this is what the Lord commands. God is the one in chapter 36 giving the instructions. In other words, what we see here is that the God who gives an inheritance to his people, chapters 26 and 27 is the very same God who preserves the inheritance for his people here in chapter 36. God gives the inheritance. God preserves the inheritance. God gives the inheritance. God preserves the inheritance. And again, when we read this, from our side of the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus... We're to be reminded, you're to be reminded, that just as God is the one who preserves the inheritance for his Old Testament people, 
so too God is preserving your inheritance. Your inheritance. In the New Testament, the author of Hebrews, when talking of those who live by faith in Old Testament times, those who died by faith, not, not having yet received the things that were promised to them, Hebrews 11 says they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles here on earth. They were a people seeking for a homeland, Hebrews says, desiring a better country, namely heaven. Heaven. And perhaps nowhere better in the New Testament is this theme of a future and preserved inheritance taken up than in 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that hope, Peter calls, an inheritance. One that is imperishable. Like nothing can tarnish it. Like yours is an inheritance that will never decay. It's never going to spoil. There's no born on date or expiration date on this thing. It's never going to spoil or perish. It's imperishable. It's also undefiled. It's pure. It's free from any deformation free from any contamination. It's unfading, Peter says. It's never going to burn out. Your inheritance is, is never going to grow dim. It's not changing. And it's being kept in heaven for you. It's being preserved for you. For you! For you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Church, God is preserving your inheritance. Not only is he the giver of your inheritance, he's the preserver of it too. He's, the, he's like the head of the Inheritance Preservation Commission. And he is really good at his job. Here's why this is good news. You and I are strangers and exiles on this earth. We are. Making our way through the wilderness of life as we've been talking about for 15 weeks now. With all of its trials and all of its tests, all of our grumbling and rebelling, making our way through the wilderness of life with all of its tears and sadnesses, with all of its miscarriages and broken relationships and childhood trauma, and depression, and illness, and death, and sadness, all kinds of junk, right? Listen, whatever unique refiner's fire you're in right now, or going through, or coming out of, we are strangers and exiles in the wilderness seeking a homeland, desiring a better country, namely heaven. Our inheritance. In Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you have been given this inheritance. It's yours. But even more, in Christ Jesus, 
It's actually being preserved for you. It's being kept for you, to use Peter's language. You don't have to keep it. It's being kept in heaven for you by God. And you, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for it. For a full and final salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time when Christ returns or calls you home. It's yours. The inheritance is. God has given it to you. It's yours, and it always will be. God is preserving it for you. And listen, if that's all true, how are we to respond? How are we to respond to this promised and preserved inheritance of ours? Well, look back at Numbers 36 one last time. Look at how the daughters of Zelophehad responded to the promised and preserved inheritance of theirs. Verse 10, the daughters of Zelophehad did as the Lord commanded Moses for Malah, Tirzah, Hoglah, Milcah, and Noah. The daughters of Zelophehad were married to the sons of their father's brothers. They were married into the clans of the people of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's clan. These are the commandments and the rules that the Lord commanded through Moses to the people of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. How did they respond? They trusted and obeyed, didn't they? Theirs is a tested and genuine faith. They take God at his word. They trust and obey. This is living by faith. God's people have, have come a long way through the wilderness. From people who grumbled and complained about everything, rebelled and sinned and worshiped other gods and failed to trust, to, all the way to here, that where we end, the daughters of Zelophehad. Listen, these five paradigmatic heroines of the faith. They've got their eyes and their hearts fixed upon the inheritance after the wilderness and they walk by faith, trusting and obeying. So too, the first way that we respond to our inheritance given to us and preserved for us by God himself, the first way that we respond is by walking by faith. Trusting and obeying God in all that he's commanded us. Trusting him even when difficulty comes. And you don't know what to do. Trusting him when you're scurrying around with anxious fear. Trusting him when heartbreak arrives. And you're cast down. Trusting him when sickness shows up and won't go away. Trusting him when the chaos of life and the tempo of bewildering urgency makes your head spin so much that you can't even see straight. Trusting him. Even still. Trusting him. And also, 
obeying him. Reading his word. And doing as the Lord commanded. Like striving in obedience. Listen, even when it's restrictive. Even when it's hard. Even when others aren't. Striving to obey even when you're tempted. Even when you don't feel like it. Even when you would really prefer not to obey. Striving to obey even when, listen, especially when what the Lord has commanded seems to rub against what it is you wanted. This, after all, is the definition of obedience, isn't it? This is the first way we respond to our inheritance. Given to and preserved for us by God, we walk by faith. Trusting and obeying this glorious God of ours. Trusting and obeying that what he has commanded is good because he is. And we trust him. We're able to look back at all this faithfulness through this jungle of a wilderness and say, God has preserved me this far. Look at all he's done for me. He is good. He's good. And therefore, what he commands must be as well, even if I disagree with it. Trusting and obeying, not in order that we might earn the inheritance, but rather because it's already been given to us. Trusting and obeying, not in order to preserve the inheritance. Got to keep it together. God's going to take it away from me. No, trusting and obeying because it's already kept in heaven for you. And the second way we respond then is we rejoice. Back in 1 Peter 1, after telling us about our imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance, which is kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. And in verse 6, Peter writes this. He says, in this you rejoice. And the this there is the inheritance. We rejoice in our inheritance, which has been given to us by God and is being preserved for us by God. In this you rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Anybody got various trials going on? Yes, that's us. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, in glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, talking about when he comes back. And then listen to this, my fellow wilderness wanderers. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Church, there awaits for you a glorious inheritance after this wilderness called life. It's an inheritance that God has given you already in Christ. 
And it's an inheritance he's preserving for you even as you persevere by faith through this wilderness life. And because all this is true, we rejoice. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would cover the interior intricacies of our souls with these truths. Father, I pray that you would help us to lay hold of them by faith, perhaps for the first time today, perhaps instead more deeply, more fully today than ever before, and and therefore more deeply and more fully every day after today. May they bring us peace and joy and hope as we travel through this wilderness life, as we travel with both thankfulness and longing. Thank you that you are with us, God. Father, you really are all we need. And we pray, come Lord Jesus. In his name, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.